Welcome to another episode of the Call to Bank podcast here, thankfully, with at least one more game of basketball to watch tomorrow night, and hopefully the Heat are able to force a Game 7 so we can see the Lakers. Um, Jimmy effing Buckets, to quote Eric Spolstra, had an amazing game last night. I mean, he played for 47 minutes. That's just something you don't see in today's NBA. I mean, I don't know a lot about other historical runs, and I'm sure there have been players who have played 47 or maybe not even sat out for the 44 seconds, 46 seconds that Butler sat out for and played the whole 48. But to see him go in and command a game like that, especially towards the end, to be able to just will them past the Lakers by, I mean, only three points after I think they had a couple 11-digit, 11-point leads that they squandered and even let the Lakers, you know, in the last three, four minutes, see some light and get ahead. It was honestly just an amazing performance from the Heat. You're a couple of things happening in game four from this being, you know, script reversed. And the Lakers needing to come back and, you know, win the next two games. I think the Lakers are going to close it out tomorrow. I think LeBron James is just too good of a player and that he'll be able to will Davis and the rest of the team to get past the Heat. But, I mean, when people were counting out Jimmy Butler last year saying he was just taking a payday in Miami, this is him just doing the exact opposite and showing them that he really is as good and as driven as he has always said he is. Yeah, he was incredible last night. And as you mentioned, like the 47 minutes, that's mind-blowing to me because I remember like I've played a couple like and uh, on basketball courts and churches where the court is short and the game isn't even close to 48 minutes long and I had to like play the whole game and I was just winded after it so just the amount of endurance that Jimmy Butler has and that he can still be playing at that high of a level after like running up and down the court that many times and playing against that good of players is just incredible uh but yeah I'm I'm happy that we're having a game six uh, this says a lot about Jimmy Butler. Uh, even if they lose next game, um, I think everyone likes a finals that goes to at least six games. It almost doesn't feel like a finals if one team sweeps or wins in five. Um, but Jimmy Butler has willed the Heat to a game six finals. And I can't say it's just him because um, the Heat have a great system. They have a lot of supporting players that have really been contributing, but uh, Jimmy Butler's play has um, like exceeded LeBron's and Anthony Davis's as amazing as that is because both of them have had amazing series as well. I mean, you talked about the role in supporting players who definitely have played a large role in the playoffs. Last night, the Heat played a seven-man rotation. Iguodala had the fewest amount of minutes at 20. None only had 28 coming off the bench. Every starter had more than 30. So it was just, I mean, I don't think that's sustainable. You have, what, about 36, 40 hours until the next game. And, I mean, I was listening to some commentary earlier this morning on a Heat podcast, and he said, well, he doesn't believe it's sustainable. Like, if that's how you played in this must-win game, then that's what you're going to expect to see from the Heat on Sunday. So I'll be interested to see 
if they really are able to, you know, go with this seven-man rotation and pull off another win. But watching, you know, and looking at some stat lines that do kind of show that this was like a hard game. I mean, Iguodala went 0 for 2, but I mean, he really wasn't shooting. None off the bench went 6 for 11. So 2 for 4 from out of from three-point range. So that definitely benefited them. Um, and then you had Robinson, 7 for 13, which is a large part why they won the game along with Butler. But then you have Crowder, 2 for 9. And I mean, I'm not crapping on Crowder. I love Crowder, but he does have those nights. And then you have Butler, 1 for 3. So, well, I, I well, I sub, I take that back about Butler. He was, I mean, hit the three-pointers, not his game. And only one for three is pretty good for him to get that. But looking at Crowder, for them to win game seven, he's my X factor. You do need Bam to play a bit better. But Crowder has shown he's able to come out just like he did in game four against the Rockets last year when he was on the Jazz. And he willed them to that victory. That was Crowder who won that game. It was Crowder and it was Rubio. It was two players who always were getting a lot of heat, Rubio a lot more so, coming out and just, you know, having amazing career games. So if you see Crowder, you know, going like 40% from three, I think that's going to be what wins the heat of the game. If you don't see Crowder coming off the bench and being, or starting and just being that extra punch, then I think the Lakers are going to win, which is what I'm leaning towards in tomorrow's game. Yeah, like Crowder, if he can come off and just stay hot. And like like you said, he was huge in that game four against the Rockets last year when he was on the Jazz. Uh, but I feel like he plays a different role with his Heat team. I don't know if he'll have the same options to do that. Uh, but if, if they can work that, if he can come out hot and they can keep feeding him the ball, then that's going to make... Jimmy Butler's and Bam Adebayo's job so much easier because then the Lakers will actually have to respect Jay Crowder because like you said he he's really a streaky shooter sometimes he'll come out and just hit everything and then other times he has a two for nine night which the reason why he's still getting minutes in the finals like this is because of how much energy he brings even if he's not hitting the shots like he comes out and plays defense but I, I do agree that if if you can have all the Heat players that you come out and expect them to play their game, expect Duncan Robinson to hit his shots, um, expect Jimmy Butler to come out and ball out like he does every night, expect uh, Bam Adebayo to do a little bit more uh, than he did last night. And then on top of that, if Jay Crowder comes out and hits his shots like he he can, then we'll probably see a game seven. But um, like, like you said, you were mentioning it's probably not sustainable if they play that same thing. They do have bench players that can contribute even in the finals that they didn't play last night. So uh, Eric Spolstrom may look at um, maybe switching out some of the bench players that he played tonight for them. Uh, but I don't know. Like You could try something new, but if that new strategy doesn't work, you only got one shot, and then if you if it doesn't work next game, then you're out and it's season over. Yeah, I do wonder what was kind of Spolstra's mentality going into that since, I mean, putting Butler out there for 47 minutes, I mean, he did go for 35, you know, but his stat line in the second half was a lot more questionable. He was under 50% from the field, um, and he was significantly over 50% in the first half, which is why he came out to 
being, you know, 11 for 19. And the 12 for 12 from the line definitely, like, is what gave him there. Since he doesn't get those free throws, I mean, he only scores 23 points. And obviously, if he wasn't fouled, he might have made those shots. So um, I wonder if Spolstra in any way was hoping to rest up some of those bench players a bit. I don't see why he would, but maybe the fresh legs coming up on Sunday will be a big difference since, I mean, you had Dudley not play McGee, Cook, and Smith on the Lakers. But, I mean, at this point, you're in a nine-man rotation like the Lakers are doing. So, looking at it from that perspective, maybe having Olenek and Haslam or Derek Jones Jr. with some fresh legs are going to be what, like, gives them a bit, allows them to beat the Lakers bench and then push to the Game 7. I don't know. I'm I'm not going to claim that I know what's going on inside Eric Spolster's head. He is definitely a smart, capable coach in the NBA. He's won several championships. Granted, he did kind of have a super team when he did that, but um, he knows how to coach in the finals. Um, I, I think when he made it to his first finals against Dallas and he got outcoached, I think the reason why I think Eric Spolster is such a good coach is because he had that experience and he learned from it. Um, since then, I feel like his he's been able to take those losses and really learn from what his mistakes were. So um, then again, Frank Vogel's a very capable coach and it, like with how talented these teams are, it might really just be a chess match between the two coaches. Um, and, and that's Eric Spolster really has to make sure that he does everything he can because the Lakers do have more superstar talent than the Heat do. And so if, if you leave it up to your players, then that's um, it's going to be the superstars that win the series. Uh, but I, I think that might be smart. That That is an interesting strategy to have the fresh legs coming off the bench. Because um, I know even though you have Bam back, if you have Kelly Olenek, he, he definitely caused some problems for the Lakers in uh, some of the games. So having him come in just for a few minutes and um, hit some jumpers and um, get in people's heads like he does, that might give them a little bit of an edge, even though they're even though Jimmy Butler played 47 minutes last game. One comment you made that I want to touch on is that, you know, Spolstra has his championships with super teams, which is definitely a true statement. And I mean, a lot of people do kind of take away from a coach like, I don't think that Tyron Lue was in a, like this amazing coach. And we might get to see that if he gets another hire here. Um, but so I'm just going to read off the last like coaches to win a championship over like the last 10 or so years. And I just kind of want to like get your feel on how much of it was the team versus them. So last year was Nick Nurse beating the beating the Golden State Warriors. Like, well, with with any championship team, you're definitely going to have a lot of star talent. Um, but I think Nick Nurse, and, and he did get a little lucky there with, uh, I don't know if I'd call it lucky, it was unfortunate, but almost the whole Warriors team got beat up. But he um, coached amazingly. He did a great job against a team that everyone thought was unbeatable. And they took their L's, but I, I think he's... He's an incredible coach. I don't know how much I'd put the championship on him, but um, 
I I don't know if the Raptors would have won without him, though. He I think he was that important. So then D- Steve Kerr on Golden State, who's won, you know, three of the last four or five years. Is that a similar feeling or? Um, I don't know if Golden State would have been the super team without him. I don't know if he's like an incredible like chess player if you if you want to word it like that where like you can just strategize against different coaches i think he what what his strength is is finding the players and creating the right system for the players and so when he came in and implemented the motion offense that's when golden state took off so i I think him being there is important but it's more in the players than on the coach see since that's the thing i need to do some more research on looking at steve kerr since if I remember correctly, the Golden State Warriors made the playoffs, then they fired their old coach, and then they hired Steve Kerr. So he definitely was at least fortunate to avoid the rebuilding process in Golden State. And that doesn't shouldn't take away from him as like a coach, but he definitely didn't have to persevere with the Warriors like certain other coaches have had to preserve and um, persevere in rebuilding processes. Yeah, I think Mark Jackson had a huge role to play in developing Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. And uh, Steve Kerr has definitely benefited from uh, the work and efforts of Mark Jackson. Yeah. So I already made my feelings on Ty Lue known. So what are what's kind of your feelings on Ty Lue? I feel like we don't really have enough to know exactly. I, I, think, I think he's not as good of a coach as like, the hype will say he is. Because uh, a lot of people say once you're a coach that wins a championship, you're automatically an elite coach. But the reason Tyler was hired was because LeBron James really just wanted a coach that would work with him more than doing his own thing. And so, like, and so with David Blatt, like, uh, I don't know how great of a coach he would have been if he could have kept going. But um, LeBron James just kind of wanted one of his friends that would let LeBron do his thing. Which, to be fair, when you have LeBron James, he is probably smarter than a lot of the coaches in the NBA when it comes to basketball. So that might just be the strategy that you take. Uh, so I'm just—I I don't know about Tyloo. He could be better than I than I'm giving him credit for because he did do the right thing and he won a championship. He didn't mess it up. Yeah, I mean, looking at Tyloo and kind of that LeBron comment, like. I was listening to um, something also today that talked about how they felt like Polinka in Los Angeles was robbed of executive of the year. And there's some great like arguments for that. But looking at it, like talking about the free agent acquisitions, which definitely hurt in the sense that after they were waiting for Kawhi, waiting for Kawhi and waiting for Kawhi, that they lost out on a lot of opportunities. I don't necessarily think Polinka had anything to do with the vast majority of the free agent acquisitions because you don't get Dwight Howard and Rajon Rondo like you know here in Utah if you're like oh hey Dwight Howard Rajon Rondo do you guys want to come and play on veterans minimums that's not going to happen that happened because LeBron and Anthony Davis were there and yes you can look at the Anthony Davis trade and look at the benefits um but that's also one of those things that was like like going to happen and just fortunate once you got the second pick. And so there, there is a lot of luck going into there, but I mean, like you said, LeBron James is kind of like the team 
right now. If LeBron James is there, you're going to get people to come. If LeBron James is there, the coach is going to have to like defer to LeBron James because it's LeBron James. I mean, he knows what he's doing. And so when you compare that to like the next team on the list who won a championship and that's San Antonio with Greg Popovich at the helm, I mean, I think it's pretty straightforward to say like him and Duncan were step and st- were step and step, you know, and you have Manu down there and then you also had Tony. So looking at that matchup down there, I mean, while I think Popovich has definitely kind of like fell by the wayside these last couple of years because he just wants the mid range to be a big deal and it's not. I mean, he definitely has been a legendary coach for his time in the NBA and has been one of the best of all time. I don't even know if it's Popovich, though, that wants the mid-range to be the big deal. I think it's just he doesn't have anyone who can shoot threes. Uh, he, he's trying he's trying to work with the personnel that he has. And so it, it might be the front office who isn't getting him in the players. But then again, with Aldridge and um, DeRozan, uh, they, I think the value that they can bring your team is greater than the trade value they have. So uh, San Antonio's in a tough spot there. With how straightforward Popovich is, I think that he would say if he was playing to the strengths of his players and say, this is why we're running the offense we do. Um, he's openly come out with a lot of like contempt for the three-pointer and like where people think the game are. So I do think he's just kind of ticked about that. But I mean, definitely when you're running, when you have the players they have, like three point shooting isn't what's going to be your bread and butter. You're going to have to win with the mid range and they just haven't been able to make it work. But I mean, to be fair, they've made it work enough to up until this year, make the playoffs every year for however long, which I think was an NBA record. Um, So you have Phil Jackson in 2009, 2010. I mean, he definitely was a very good coach with his time, and he did a lot, especially with the Lakers. So this last one I'm going to ask you about, and I already I already know your opinion, I'm pretty sure. But um, so I guess the Dallas Mavericks won in 2011. Um, who would have Who would have thought? But how do you feel about Rick Carlisle um, as your team's coach? What are What are your thoughts on what he brings to the table? Well, like we were that year, the Mavs beat the first year of the Big Three. Uh, with the Heat, where uh, it was Wade, LeBron, Bosch, um, and and so like obviously the the Mavs made it, and I feel like most everyone, including most Mavs fans, just kind of felt cool. We made it. Um, let's just enjoy that we made it here. But I th- I think Rick Carlisle took advantage. He like I think he was really the reason why the Mavs won. Like obviously Dirk was amazing. We had some great veterans who came in and gave awesome performances like Jason Kidd and Jason Terry. But even in the finals, we were missing Karan Butler, who was like our second highest scorer in the season. And we uh, they, they still won the championship. So uh, Rick Carlisle tried some really weird stuff against the Heat that no one would have thought would have worked, like having J.J. Bray guard LeBron James. Uh, but... I think he really just like the reason the Heat lost was uh, they just got outcoached and it wasn't the normal basketball that they were seeing all season. So I I think Rick Carlisle, even though he's had a lot of losing seasons with the players that he's had, 
Uh, I, I think he is one of the smartest basketball, uh, uh, one of the smartest coaches, excuse me, in the NBA. But um, that doesn't always win you a championship, though. Because if you look at uh, someone like Frank Vogel, I think Frank Vogel's a very smart coach. But when you have LeBron on your team, uh, the job of the coach is more to manage the players rather than create a very complex system. And so I think Frank Vogel is an amazing coach in that he's managing the players in the right way for them to win, even if that doesn't mean drawing up all the X and X's and O's and changing the defensive strategy like Rick Carlisle was doing in 2011. Yeah, I think you really summed it up well earlier when you basically said the goal, the job of the head coach is to not mess it up. Since, I mean, Ty Lue went and he won a championship and he didn't mess it up. And I mean, he really like let the Cavs be what they needed to be to be their best. And so, well, like you said, he's probably, he might not be an elite X's and O's coach. I mean, looking at that, he managed superstars. And that's why when you look at the Heat, you can say they managed Eric Spolstra with LeBron James managed the superstars and didn't mess it up. And so this is where if Miami wins this season, which again, let me reiterate, I don't think is going to happen that Eric Spolster is going to show, in my opinion, that he's not only able to manage superstars, but that he is an elite X's and O's coach and to enter kind of like that elite level of, of coaching. And so like if Nick Nurse was able, Nick Nurse showed that he's definitely an elite X's and O's coach, not only last season with Kawhi, but this season. And so to see Spolstra get his third would definitely put him on one of the elite coaches in the NBA, in my opinion. Um, Vogel, like you said, he's a great coach. Haven't seen enough of him. But overall, I think it's been just a really great series to watch and to see like kind of what's going on with these two teams. Not only the heart that LeBron James still has in, you know, when he's 35 in his 16th or 17th season, but the heart that Jimmy Butler has and the, and how that, you know, is translated to all of the Heat players. Yeah, this has been like, I came into the series thinking it was going to be a boring series, but it it's really turned into an amazing series being able to watch. Uh, three individual players go off almost every night and just be incredible. And Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and Jimmy Butler. And I, I agree. Like if the if the Heat pull this off and win the championship, Jimmy Butler is like automatic. Like it, it's weird to say that. Like the second you win Game Seven, you're automatically a top ten player. But it's like top ten isn't really talent wise. It's how people view you. And so if if they win. Jimmy Butler's automatically, everyone's seeing him as a top 10 player. And Eric Spolstra is considered one of the best coaches in the NBA right now. Even when you have coaching greats like Popovich still coaching. And when it gets to the offseason, we'll need to do more of a deep dive on certain teams' salary caps and the like. But I can imagine them not having some like great free agency looks. And who knows, maybe the whole Giannis to Miami in a year is going to happen. But all we can do now is really much is really speculate, which we've done a great job for the last 24 or so minutes. So thanks for listening. Please remember to rate it and review us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And enjoy game seven. Well, enjoy game six. 
Hopefully there's a game seven and we can talk about that next week here on Call Bank. 